After reaching the pinnacle of a military aviation career, Michelle Mace Curran chose to take the lessons she learned from achieving her flying dreams, like overcoming fears and self-doubt and allowing herself to be more open, to inspire others in all walks of life that you too can find ways to break barriers and soar. You'll be inspired by Michelle's humility and passion. So let's take off on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and as a complete aviation groupie, I'm geeking out and I'm thrilled to host a conversation with Michelle Mace Curran, an aviator who has reached the pinnacle as a fighter pilot with the U.S. Air Force and has since dedicated herself to inspiring others through the company she founded, Upside Down Dreams. Michelle served as a fighter pilot for 13 years in the U.S. Air Force, which culminated with her being the only female pilot for the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds from 2019 to 21. Before joining the Thunderbirds, Michelle was a combat-proven fighter pilot completing missions across Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. As only the second woman to ever fly lead solo for the Thunderbirds, Michelle realized the flying was cool, but the best part was inspiring others to overcome their fears and pursue their dreams. Since transitioning out of the military, she has founded her company Upside Down Dreams and is committed to empowering men and women of all ages to overcome obstacles and the fear of failure. She has inspired thousands through her passion for breaking barriers and setting the example of what can be accomplished through hard work and perseverance. When Michelle isn't speaking, she volunteers as part of the Veterans Outdoor Advocacy Group and spends time with her stepson and husband in their Las Vegas home. I can't wait to get into all of it. Michelle, welcome and thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. And I'm realizing every time I hear someone read that, how much of a mouthful it is. I'm like, maybe we need to pare down the bio a bit. I'm sure we could go on and on. But and I'm speaking of that, I'm sure you've told it a million times, but I'd love for you to talk about how somebody from a small town in Wisconsin ends up on the most elite flying team in the world. I always joke that I kind of stumbled into it. Because I think a lot of people, especially once I became a Thunderbird, they imagined that I grew up in an aviation family right. and I was been going to air shows, saw the team fly as a kid and, you know, knew at that moment, which is a story for a lot of people and is one of the really cool things about being a Thunderbird so you yeah. get to impact people like that. But I grew up in northern Wisconsin, small town, 4000 people, not a military family, not an aviation family. I know there was at one point in high school where I mean, small school, everyone knew everyone. There was a guy in the grade below me who was getting his private pilot's license. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I went home and told my parents I wanted to do that. And they were like, that sounds expensive. That's a no for us. <laughs> and that was kind of it. Like I never was riding in Cessnas or I just had no exposure, but I was a good student and I needed a way to pay for college. So my dad had gone to UW-Madison and he had seen, he wasn't in ROTC, but he was familiar with the program because of that. And he suggested it. And initially my reaction was, I don't want to be in the military. I want to be a normal college student. And I was like 16 years old. I didn't really have an understanding. Um, I came around and I ended up on a full scholarship thanks to Air Force ROTC to go to college over at St. Thomas, which is in St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. But I was a criminal justice major and planned on doing four years to pay back my time to the Air Force for paying for my education. And then my big goal was to become an FBI agent. Nice. 
Yeah. So you can tell that a little I did different not go path. Ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad uh, I pivoted and I'm sure it would have been amazing either way. But halfway through college, I went on a base visit with the ROTC program and I had never really seen fighter jets up close before. Uh, and I got to stand on the side of the runway while two F-15s took off in full afterburner at dusk. Oh, geez. And it was just a life-changing experience. It was a visceral reaction, right? Goosebumps. Oh, it, sure. The vibration of the engine in your chest. I mean, you being an aviation fan, I can tell you're like, heck yeah. Oh my gosh, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, that moment I was like, I want to go do that. And so I kind of looked at what I needed to do to be competitive for a pilot slot coming out of ROTC. And I already had a decent GPA and I started working a little bit harder in the physical fitness part mm -hmm. of things and pushing myself outside my comfort zone some to be a more of a leader in the cadet space, which was hard for me because I was really shy um, still then in college. And I eventually got a pilot slot, went off to pilot training. And I, having seen those two fighter jets take off, my whole mentality going into pilot training, probably not the best one, but it was pretty much fighters or bust. When people were like, what do you want to fly? I was like, you know, F-16, F-15, right. A-10. What about on the other side? I was like, nothing. Like my goal here is not to be a pilot. My goal is to be a fighter pilot. And it ended up working out, but the odds are not in your favor. The odds to go are definitely the not in your favor. No. Yeah. We got two uh, fighter aircraft for a class of 25 students. Wow. So that um, night where we got our drop is what it's called when you find out what airframe you're going to go fly. All the instructors knew how much I wanted it. And so they kind of messed with me a little bit and made me go last <laughs> oh, in the entire geez. class. Uh, and then they kind of tricked me to make me think that I was going to stay in Columbus, Mississippi, which is where I went through pilot training and be a first assignment instructor pilot there for another four years. Oh, and then geez. they eventually told me. Oh, um, geez. Mess yeah. with the new, new yeah. kid. I am a pretty even killed person. I don't get super excited about stuff. And I started jumping up and down like a small child. It was, wow. uh, it was a big <laughs> moment. I still remember it very clearly, but yeah, from there I was just off to, to fly Vipers and the Thunderbirds wasn't really even something I wanted to do until I saw the hiring email come out with the last notification that was like, Hey, if you missed the other three emails we sent, the applications are open. They close next week. So last chance. Oh geez. And for whatever reason, I decided to actually open that one. Cause you get a lot of, I don't want to call sure. spam, right. but you get all kinds of notifications and emails about different right. assignment opportunities and stuff. And a lot of them, you just don't have time to read. I read that one, went to my boss that same day and was like, Hey, I actually meet all these requirements what do you think about me applying for the Thunderbirds? And I had a really amazing squadron commander at the time. And he was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And the application deadline, like I said, was just a few days away. So he helped me jump through a lot of hoops to get it in in time. Well, when people find out you're a fighter pilot and especially one with the Thunderbirds, the assumption must be that you're the super confident, self-assured, badass. But it was interesting to read that when you started uh, your career, you had some self-doubt and a little bit of imposter syndrome. So when you think back, what were some of the toughest times and, and lowest lows um, and what really helped you persevere that might help somebody listening, looking for something like that. That was kind of understated. I had a whole lot of self-doubt and mm. imposter syndrome. It, 
it felt like it defined me for quite some time early wow. on because I had been such this high achiever, you know, I like set goals and I just knocked them down and I was a straight A student and I was good at dealing with physical discomfort. So I could push my body really hard to like do well at physical fitness tests and in our equivalent of basic training for officers to like do well in that aspect. Yeah. But I was still an introvert and I was still shy. And so the hardest things for me was putting myself out there in an area where there was a good chance I would fail. Mm. I felt like I really, really had to prove myself and I had to put up this front of perfection. And I recognize it now in hindsight, but at the time I didn't, my whole identity was my achievements. Mm. And I didn't really understand myself worth outside of being this like golden child. And so I was still afraid to show any cracks in the armor. And Mm -hmm. so that, you know, I got to my first operational squadron. I just spent a year learning to fly the F-16. I get to my first kind of combat squadron in Misawa, Japan. And I'm showing up as the only young new lieutenant where in all the other programs I was with, you know, a big group of people all going through it together. Mm -hmm. And now I'm with, all more experienced people. I'm one of two women in a squadron of almost 50 pilots. And I don't like to focus on the gender part of it, but it for sure added a layer of complexity. It had to. Added pressure. and Absolutely. I think an additional pressure to not only prove myself, but to prove women in the whole career field in general. Right. That's a lot of weight to carry, right? You're saying I'm carrying it for women. And I, again, I didn't think of that like consciously at the time, but I recognized it so clearly afterwards that I thought anything that I did wrong, any mistake I admitted or made would now be the reputation for any woman who followed me afterwards. So, you know, if I do bad at, you know, air to ground or whatever the random skill set is now they're like female fighter pilots suck at insert skill. And it's a shame that that's how it is, but I've seen it happen again and again throughout my career where people would be talking about another female pilot. And even if it wasn't especially bad, they weren't being especially harsh. They were talking about it when they wouldn't have been talking about it at all if it had been a man. And so it just gets frustrating, but I don't want to go too much down that path because we could do a whole episode just on that. Exactly. But yeah, that time was rough. I spent about three years feeling in over my head, like I didn't have an identity. I had to pretend to be this like Tom Cruise style maverick of course, fighter pilot, which is not accurate to the culture, really. It may be from an outsider's perspective, but not from the inside. And once I recognized that and was willing to just kind of be myself and be willing to take a little bit more risks as far as, hey, I might fail at this. I just grew so fast and it was like, I was a completely different person two years later. To me, it sounds like it it finally came down to being a little vulnerable, right? That could help anybody in any position. The daughter who's went to almost an all male engineering schools had a lot of the same pressures and everything else. And I think when she finally got to that point where she was a little more vulnerable to say, Hey, if I mess up here, it doesn't define me. Is that kind of what turned it for you? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the big things I speak about now is how vulnerability is actually a superpower and you can't really step into your full potential until you're willing 
to put yourself out there, not knowing what the result is going to be. Right. And I, I asked a lot, you know, what, if you could give yourself advice back in that time, like what would you do differently? And I think one of the big things was because I had those walls up of perfection, mm-hmm. I kept people at arm's length mm. and there were so many people who wanted to mentor me and would have been willing to have like conversations about, you know, more in-depth stuff about how I was struggling and give me advice. But I, if they came to me and were like, how's things going? I would be like, good, you know, fine. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put that wall down and let them in. And so that really hampered my progress for, for quite a while. And once I realized that one of the biggest gifts has been all of the people that support each other and they have really helped me, you know, go into the Thunderbirds, that boss I mentioned. Um, and then once I was there, a lot of other female pilots who had come before me, I guess not a lot. I was the fourth one, but those that wow. had come before me, um, you know, they were just so willing to lend an ear and talk about things that were so specific to being a woman in that role. And I could not have done it without that support. And I, that's what I'm trying to do now is to help others from the other side, lift them up. So was there kind of an aha moment or was there a a point you can, you can look back on and go, that's when I really started to think I need to be a little more vulnerable here and let some more folks in here to support me. Yeah. So I moved from, I spent three years in Japan and I struggled with this stuff that entire time. I moved to my next base, which was in Fort Worth, Texas. And I kind of had this realization. I wasn't happy with how the last assignment had gone. And it was my first one, right? I had this idea of what my career would look like. And it turns out it wasn't aligning with that. It wasn't, you know, I think I had this misconception that being a fighter pilot was like just flying the airplane and it was Mm, a lot more to it. You romanticize it. It is extremely technical and complicated. And the amount of knowledge you have to be proficient at with all the different tactics and systems again, criminal justice major, a lot of my peers were engineers. Yeah. I realized how difficult of a career I was stepping into. And I think now that I'm sharing this so vocally on LinkedIn and on my, in my speeches and stuff, a lot mm-hmm. of doctors have reached out and they were like, I felt that exact same way in med school. Oh, wow. They're like, I had this image in my head when I was a kid of, you know, I want to be a doctor someday and what that looked like. But I didn't really have a full concept of how difficult it was going to be to get there and how much I would feel like I didn't belong there for quite some time. And I think that's normal when you step into a really challenging career field. I just didn't have that perspective at the time. When I moved to Texas, I kind of gained that perspective. And that squadron also had a lot different culture than my first squadron. Mm. I don't want to get too much into the military terminology, but it was a reserve squadron, but they brought in a small group of active duty pilots kind of through this exchange program. Mm -hmm. And I was one of them. So I was still on active duty. But because it was a reserve squadron, most of them were a little bit older. These were all like majors, lieutenant colonels who had done their 10 years on active duty or had grown up as a reservist. And so they were very experienced. Several of them are weapons school graduates, which is like the Air Force's equivalent of Top Gun. Yep. So this is a group that was really, really skilled. Their average skill level was much higher than most squadrons. Mm. And I think they created this amazing environment where you didn't have to prove yourself. They were just confident in their abilities, but then they weren't arrogant. And I started to feel very, I guess, a lot more comfortable in that environment. And it kind of gave me the courage 
to change my mindset and actually made a literal promise that I was going to start forcing myself to say yes to those things that I, I knew I should go do or that I really wanted to do, but that also came with that feeling of doubt and yeah. they're scary. And I started small. So I think a lot of people are like, oh, and then you just decided to be a Thunderbird pilot. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. There was three years of growth there that happened. And honestly, where I first started was in my hobbies. And I, that sounds kind of funny, but I had all of these kind of extreme hobbies that I had always been interested in, but they were outside my comfort zone. They had barriers to entry, like skills and equipment and all this stuff that was needed. Right. And I suddenly was just like, why not me and why not now? And so I started running marathons. I got into technical mountaineering and rock climbing. I went to Nepal, which was just wow. an amazing trip um, by myself. And then I joined up with a, a group of strangers and we did an Everest Space Camp trek, um, which is just walking at altitude. It sounds very in intense. It's not. It's beautiful, though. And all of those things ended up being amazing. And so much growth came from each of them. And that started to give me confidence on the professional side. And I started to be willing when they're like, hey, we need someone to lead Project X. We need someone to take this on. I would, pre I mean, I still got this, but I would get that feeling in my stomach like, oh no, a lot of responsibility comes with that. A good chance of failure comes with that. I started to recognize that as a sign that I should do it, not as a sign that I should pull back and be like, please don't pick me. That That's great advice. And, and I love it because I think that one of the things that I'm hearing is, you know, not everybody can fly F-16s. Um, but I think one of your key messages is that everybody can kind of develop this skill of being more open and developing more grit and more empathy and more confidence. Um, and that's going to help them lead a more fulfilling life, right? Absolutely. And one of the things I kind of compare it to you can, I mean, you train your body, right? Like you mm -hmm. use strength training or you do endurance mm -hmm. training and you start at a lower level and over time your body adapts and you get stronger, you get faster. And when it comes to your mindset and your mental toughness and your perseverance, you can really raise your tolerance for discomfort and stuff that felt so uncomfortable to you before can become your normal. And that's where you start to like rise above the average person and all of a sudden start going and doing all these crazy, amazing things. Like people will be like, you're talking about you started small and you ran a marathon. That's not small. <laughs> like you, went, you climbed a mountain. That's not small. Right. Um, but that's because I did start small with, you know, getting comfortable running four miles, which felt terrible at first. And then that became my easy day. And over time, it just became normal and it became, this is just what Michelle does. Like I, my reputation became like, she's the one that goes and does all this cool, crazy stuff. And she's not mm -hmm. scared of anything, which wasn't true. Right. I just learned to be okay being uncomfortable until it eventually with time became comfortable. And then that, that level just goes up and up. Fear's a tricky thing. And, and when you made the decision to transition out of the military, it had to feel a lot like, almost the first step back to when you, you first started flying or whatever, because you're, you're going into something that's completely unknown, but this time you probably did have a, a lot more ability to handle those fears and overcome those fears. So what would you say to somebody who's dreaming of making a big change? Um, but, it, but is struggling with that kind of fear. I still had self-doubt doing that. And I wasn't sure it was hundred percent the right decision. 
but it wasn't that I was being pushed away from the Air Force. It's not like I hated the Air Force and couldn't wait to get out. I, it right. gave me all these amazing opportunities. It was that after being on the Thunderbirds, I enjoyed that part where I could really inspire people so much that I felt like I kind of had found my purpose. And so I felt pulled to go figure out a new way to continue to do that. And so that's why I left. But before I made that leap of faith, I kind of looked at where I had gaps, you know, what, how much money could I make? Was there an income gap that I needed to plan for a skills gap? And you don't just, you don't just decide to be a keynote speaker and all of a sudden you're really comfortable on stage and you're compelling to the audience. So I went through an eight month long, pretty expensive graduate speaking course that focused on storytelling and transitions and audience connection and stagecraft. Like I learned how to be an actor, essentially things that were very outside my wheelhouse and were uncomfortable because I, it's a new skill and I'm not used to like, I'm still an introvert. That part didn't just go away. Right. I've just learned to manage it. Um, And so I identified those gaps and found ways to bridge them, which made it less scary to make that leap. And then I think I've just gotten really good at recognizing when I'm starting to get in my own way. Um, Such a good example. I had done my very first paid speaking event ever, and it was at a school. And I was so nervous beforehand because I had to create all this content. I had never delivered it. These are high schoolers. Like I should not be intimidated by them. But yes, everyone's like, they can be the worst audience. Um, It went great. And literally a week later, I get a call from a contact I had. And she was like, hey... My company, which is a national, actually it's international company that everyone would know. My company is having a sales meeting next week in Denver. They want you to speak at it. And I was like, oh, that's like seven days from now. And it's for a corporate audience. And these are like company leaders. These aren't people my age. They're, they've been in the business world forever. Mm-hmm. They're all very accomplished. And she was like, yep, they're going to pay your full fee. They're going to fly you out to Denver, all this stuff. And I'm like, I had this initial gut drop where I was like, oh, oh, crap. And I remember having like my heart rate go up and being like, I should tell her I'm unavailable. Like, that's just not enough time (laughs) to get ready. And then I, I, my previous experiences have allowed me to recognize that. And I took a step back and I was like, you would be an idiot to not take advantage of this. You're literally trying to build a speaking business. Here it is on a silver platter. What are you, why would you even consider making up that you're busy when you're not like, even if I was busy, clear the calendar, make it happen. Um, I went and I, again, I was really nervous of course, but it went well and it's led to more things. And now I'm much more confident and comfortable in the space with almost a year under my belt, but I'm not immune to, to those feelings. I think I just have perspective on them. But it's such a great lesson to anybody listening that, you know, don't be afraid to take that step if it's something you're dreaming about. And I love the whole thing about how, yeah, I'm super nervous, but I'm still going to do it because, you know, when we get to the other side, that's what we're dreaming about. But what are some of the greatest leadership lessons or greatest lessons learned over your career that you you think are really going to help you now as an entrepreneur? Because this is this is the road less traveled. I mean, you could have probably had any assignment you wanted in the Air Force, but to step out on your own and be an entrepreneur, that that takes some nerve. But what are some of the lessons that you think are really going to help you in this new new area? I think it's just my willingness to just 
create my own success. You know, I'm, I'm hustling. I'm working, you know, seven days a week, at least part of the day on even the weekends. Mm -hmm. And people are like, Oh, this, I've had a few people that are like, Oh, you were a Thunderbird pilot. This just kind of naturally fell into your lap. And I was like, I don't Uh, know if you realize what goes on behind the scenes to actually get people to hire you for high ticket keynotes and be on a stage in front of thousands of people. Like that does not just happen. Um, So it's, it's the, some of it's the work ethic, the willing that, Hey, I'm just going to grind and it feels normal to me. I can't imagine not doing that. Like if I really want to go do this, I can't imagine not fully committing to it, which is just my normal. But I've had a lot of people on the business side be like, geez, you're just like going full throttle. I was like, isn't that what everyone does? And they're like, no, it's not. Um, So I think a lot of people in the military kind of take that work ethic and the grit for granted. It's our normal. Um, So anyone that's looking at hiring veterans, it's a common trait among us. So there's like a lot of value there with uh, bringing on military people. Um, And then a huge thing that I learned from having various commanders and bosses is the importance of empathy and that vulnerability as a leader being willing to admit you don't have all the answers, being willing to, you know, have deep conversations with the people that work with you or for you, being willing to give people grace. And I think that's translated so well into communication on as an entrepreneur that I'm not afraid to ask for what I want or need, but I also am willing to work with people and be flexible and give them grace when something doesn't go right and just kind of roll with the punches And even if I'm like, well, I wish that would have gone a little bit differently. It's already happened. Getting mad at them and making them feel bad does not help the situation. And I think just that perspective, people actually enjoy working with me, which is a huge reputation to have when you're an entrepreneur. Well, that's great lessons for anybody that's leading in any type of business. But as you travel all over the world and and speak, um, what really gives you hope for the future and, and keeps you excited about doing what you're doing? Two parts. When I stand on the stage and I can actually see the people in the audience from on their faces, I can see it resonating with them. It just, it's so rewarding. It's so cool to see. But even more after a speech, I'll usually hang around for a bit and quite a few people will come up afterwards. And the people that say that came at the perfect time, I felt like you were talking right to me. Like oh, there's no... Awesome better compliment that you can get as a speaker than having multiple people come up and tell you that because having been on the other side, when I was in Japan, I know how much that one message that really goes straight to the thing you're struggling with, how much that can affect you. And when they see a fighter pilot or a Thunderbird pilot on the itinerary for a speaker, I think people come in with, some preconceived notions of what it's going to be like, Mm -hmm. especially after Top Gun coming out again, right? having such a huge following. Um, And I think they're, they're shocked or surprised by what I actually talk about, but in the best way, they're like, you're relatable. And you're talking about things that go right to my heart. Like I, I feel like we're having a friend conversation and that's just, that's so cool. Cause that's what I want. I never want to, be on this pedestal and feel like I'm looked up to in a way where people don't feel inspired, but they feel 
Like it's something they could never strive for. Not necessarily being a fighter pilot, but, you know, excelling and chasing down whatever their big goal is. And to be able to impact people in a positive way is so rewarding. Well, again, I think it's the road less traveled to really take what you're doing and want to pay it forward and give it to other people. So I applaud you for that. But as we wind down here, I got just a few more left. One I always like to ask is, what is something you will read, listen to, or watch today? Oh, I'm a heavy consumer of podcasts. Ah. Uh, I have a few favorites. So I this is not going to be helpful to people. I do like true crime podcasts. It's probably that criminal justice major thing coming back. Um, But I really love um, the Jordan Harbinger show. It's, it's pretty well known, but he just brings on the most interesting experts uh, in all different career fields. And I really love his ability to kind of deep dive into like the division in society and all these different topics without without going down some political road and without inserting his opinion too much. He like brings in experts. I don't know. It's just so refreshing and it's so interesting and it's all kinds of things. I think he just had a guy on from Egypt who's an archaeologist, but he'll have people on from, from China talking about all the political things that are changing there. And he'll talk about Ukraine and he'll talk about unrest in the U S and he'll talk about relationships. And I find it just a really cool way to kind of broaden my horizon and these names pop up of experts when sometimes their interviews, I'm like, that came at the perfect time. I feel like they're speaking right to me (laughs) and then I'll maybe go get their book and dive into it further. Um, yeah. So I guess props to Jordan for, for the amazing guests he gets. Um, I've been reading Ryan holiday, which again, really well known the obstacles, the way, um, and there were many things in there where I was like, that is exactly what I'm trying to impart on my audience, but he says it really eloquently. And so it's just been really um, rewarding to read that as well. So those are two big ones. Who is, can you say who's been a real role model for you throughout your career or somebody that's been a role model to you as you stepped out to be an entrepreneur? It's been a lot. Um, The female fighter pilot community is so small. So right. only it, it was about 2% when I first came in. It's 2%. probably closer to 3% now. So it's going up, but slowly. Um, and so there were many women throughout my career who were a few years ahead of me, who were really just key mentors once I was willing to make those connections. And one of them that's been just a, a gift to have open communication with is uh, Fifi Malikowski. She was the first female Thunderbird pilot oh, ever wow. back in 2005. That's a small club. It is. And the fact that she was the first, I have appreciation for how much pressure, because I know how much pressure was on me as the only one while right. I was there. I can't even imagine the pressure she dealt with then. And But she's also now a full-time keynote speaker. And she's been doing it for about five years and she does so well. And people, I was rave about how amazing she is. And so to have, she's just very grounded and down to earth. And so to be able to text her, or get on a call and ask her, you know, back when I was on the team, how is this? How is the grind of being the person that yeah. people always seek out at any event? And how, like, how did you manage putting on 
the public facing side of things when you're exhausted. Um, so then, and then again, now even more so as I've transitioned to an entrepreneur, everything from like the nitty gritty of how did you manage contracts or sales or whatever, but to the bigger picture of like, why do you do this? Why have you done it for five years? Like what is fulfilling? Um, so she has just been amazing. And the fact that we kind of aligned multiple times with careers. Um, yeah, she's just a great, a great human. And I really appreciate that. She's always willing to lend an ear. Well, it's interesting in your new role can't be that dissimilar to when you first became a pilot. It's like, there's so much more to just speaking than just getting up on stage. The whole business side of it was, I, it was like a two parallel struggles going on me developing my content and feeling comfortable in the delivery Mm -hmm. and like my message was really resonating with people. So that's kind of the creative side that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And then the business side where I'm like, how the heck do I work QuickBooks and contract redlines and planners? Right. And yeah, how do I get sales? And so that part I don't enjoy as much. I finally found my footing. I would say around late summer last year. So I started in March. So several months in where I was like, I need to hire some help. And I hired a couple of people that were very familiar with the speaking industry, which was painful at the time because I didn't have a lot of cash flow. But it has paid dividends. They've been talking about amazing mentors. They've just been wealth of information for me. And they're kind of the two that I go to and I'm like, hey, this opportunity came up. What do you think? And they always have the the most intelligent questions about like, well, what's their plan with this? How are they going to use this? And I'm like, I would have never thought to even ask those things. So again, reaching out for help. I might be a solo entrepreneur as far as I have an LLC, right? but I am definitely not just forging out there alone. I have all of these people that are supporting me. So I have to ask, where does Mace come from? I always get this question. So I'm sure in fighter pilot tradition, we only share our call sign stories in person. Uh, and I think, fair enough. I think so it used to be, we only share them in person over a beverage. And I think that was just a ploy <laughs> to get free beer. Um, <laughs> but I actually tell the story in my keynote, the whole story. Um, it is the call signs are based on a mistake that you made Oh, geez. when you're a new pilot. So they sound cool, but they're not based on a cool experience generally. Oh, funny. And I won't tell you what the acronym, it is an acronym. I won't tell you what it stands for because I'll save that for my keynote. But I will tell you, I went supersonic when I wasn't supposed to. And it was a whole mis-execution of how I should have been flying the jet and a bunch of mistakes that are typical to young pilots. But at the time, I felt like I was the worst pilot ever. <laughs> and I wasn't good enough to be there. So well, that's some good inside scoop on how we get call signs. That's awesome. My last one, if anybody is interested in learning more about you, hiring you to for a keynote, uh, learning more about your business, what's the best way to find you? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to inquire about speaking stuff, which would be amazing, um, just Mace Curran, just my call sign, my last name.com. And all those emails come into me and my team. Um, I do a lot of content on LinkedIn, which is just Michelle, then my call sign in quotes, Mace Curran. The newsletters are awesome, by the way. Yes. I, I spend a lot of time on the newsletters and I always feel a big responsibility to really deliver something that's valuable. So I put out newsletters every two weeks. And then I also put out content five days a week on LinkedIn. And this just isn't, this isn't a selfie and like dream big. This is longer form content where I take experiences that are really unique to my career and the lessons, a lot of the stuff we talked about today 
and I translate them to something you can actually learn yep. from. And it's, it's been fun. It's been a lot of work, but also most of my business comes from LinkedIn. So it definitely pays off. Um, yeah. So if you're interested on the thought leadership stuff, personal development, leadership, um, any of that, LinkedIn is definitely the spot to, to follow. And I can say as an, as an aviation dork, I, I started following it, but it is so far beyond that. The content is awesome. Michelle, thanks so much. Godspeed. The best is yet to come for you. I, I see great things for you. And thanks so much for being with me. Oh, I appreciate it. This is a fun conversation. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Michelle for sharing her story. This podcast was brought to you by JC Charity Services. If you're interested in how I might be able to bolster your efforts and help your team achieve its goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To learn more about Michelle and how you can book her to inspire your next event as a keynote speaker, visit macecurrent.com. And to receive her insightful newsletter, find Mace Current on LinkedIn. Check the show notes for links. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.